And um, we're going to turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. As you're turning that up, uh, can I say a thank you for releasing Jonathan into the work of chaplain to Hamilton Ackes? I could have given him an easier job, there's no doubt about it, but uh, it's always going to be a challenge at the Ackes, punching above their weight as they do. But at the end of the day, it's not really about football, uh, it's about people. And I think one of the key things to, to say is that this is not a jolly for Jonathan. He's not just going away to enjoy himself at the football. This is, I believe, cutting-edge mission. And I really want to demonstrate that this morning by way of illustration and by teaching from God's Word as well. So this is very much a part of not only Jonathan's ministry, but as you back him in prayer and encouragement, it's your ministry as well. Um, you're going to have an effect on the people at that football club through the work of Jonathan. I can tell you that when I met Jonathan, I could tell within 30 seconds that God had graced him with the DNA to do a great job as a football chaplain. And, uh, and I know that he's going to do fantastic there. So, Matthew chapter 5. And what I'm going to do, first of all, is just read the scripture and then give you a little bit of the background of sports chaplaincy in Scotland so that you can see where we are in the journey and uh, be greatly encouraged at God's grace and providence on that journey. So Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. So in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Matthew 5, 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for these words that Jesus spoke to his disciples and speaks to us today. And we pray, Lord, that we would be able to understand them in the context that we live in and that you will grace us to be salt, grace us to be light, whatever context we are representing you in. We pray, Lord, your blessing upon this word and your encouragement to our souls as we share on what you've done through this work of sports chaplaincy. In Jesus' name, amen. So as the beginning of the slide says, if you know the history, that usually gets a few growls of Rangers fans and a few smiles of Celtic fans. Um, the history of sports chaplaincy in Scotland is very, very different to that of England. And I think I'll actually share a little bit about England first because their journey is, as I say, very different. If you go back to the 1850s and 60s and 70s, at a time when many people were leaving rural communities to go and live in the urbanised industrial areas, what was happening was the church was losing connection with the people. And so in these urbanised inner city areas, some of the churches thought it would be a good idea to connect with their local communities by forming sports clubs. And that is in fact how a number of very famous football clubs started. So if I give you names like Aston Villa, Tottenham Hotspur, Southampton, Everton, Queen's Park Rangers, clubs like that, they were all started by evangelical churches that felt they were losing connection with their community and saw it as a bridge to reach them with the gospel. But my favourite story is of a young woman who was a vicar's daughter 
who lived in quite a, a difficult part of the city in which she lived. It was very dysfunctional. Uh, a lot of um, problems going on socially with drinking, etc. And she saw a group of young men who were up to no good on a Friday night and she thought, you know what, I'm going to start a football team. And hopefully that gets them out of bother and gets them in the straight and narrow. They weren't bad and they became what we now know as Manchester City. Manchester City started by a vicar's daughter. What a story. Brilliant. However, in Scotland, it's a slightly different story. In Scotland, there are only two clubs who are started by a church. If I tell you it was Glasgow Celtic and Edinburgh Hibernian, you don't have to be a church historian to know it wasn't the Prodies. Okay. So meantime, the Protestant church looked on at football as a spiritual distraction. Generally speaking, they would look on and see people who were enjoying something, so it must have been sinful. That was generally the kind of attitude. And even for myself... Um, when I first became a pastor uh, many years ago, now 1988, um, I went to visit a retired deacon in the church and he was bemoaning the worldliness that was creeping into the church. He says, oh, he says, the church is terrible now. He says, I'll tell you how bad it's got. Last week, last week, I saw a deacon from the Baptist church. They Baptists, eh? I saw a deacon from the Baptist church and you know, he was coming out of St. Mirren's football ground. He'd been at the football what do you think of that? And I said, aye, shocking. St. Martin, not for me, definitely not. He said, you don't go and watch football, do you? I said, well, not exactly. I support Partick Thistle. It's not quite the same thing. And he, he was quite horrified at this. And he says, eh, but what about all that bad language that you hear at football matches? I said, the thing about Partick Thistle is there's not many people go. So you can sit someone in the stadium when you can't even hear a dog bark, let alone anybody using bad language. It's not a problem. I was most concerned. And so he hit me with this, this cracker. And if anybody's had a background in the brethren, you're going to love this. He says, well, let me ask you this, young man. How would you feel if you were sitting in that stadium and at half time, the Lord Jesus was to return and you were sitting there. How would you feel about that? I says, that's a thought. I says, I'll tell you something. Thistle plays so badly tight sometimes. If Jesus returned at half time and got me out of there, it'd be a blessing. <laughs> Didn't quite see the funny side of that. And, and that was very much the attitude at times was, why would you as a Christian get involved or go somewhere where there's non-Christians? It kind of makes a lot of sense to me because I feel that's what Jesus said when he said, go out into the world and preach the gospel. He didn't say, stay in the church and invite people along to special meetings. He wanted us to go out where people were at. And so, the history of sports chaplaincy really begins back in 1998. And uh, it belongs at Glasgow Football Club, as I like to call them, or Partick Thistle. And it was during a really, really difficult uh, time in the club's history. They were facing financial oblivion. So nothing really changes over at Furhill. Uh, they're always in a bit of, a, a bit of trouble. Um, and what was happening at the time was the manager felt he was more like a social worker than a football coach. And he was complaining to the directors that he was trying to get 11 fit players ready for a game on Saturday. And all he was doing was dealing with all their problems and worries and woes. So he said, could you not get somebody else to deal with them? so that I can just focus on the football. And so to cut a long story short, they brought me in. As you can see from the photo, this is what chaplaincy does to you, be warned, Jonathan, I used to have a good head of hair. 
Uh, maybe it's just plastic thistle though. And, uh, and so what happened was they, they got me involved, uh, training with the players, did that for nine seasons, which was great, building a relationship with them so they knew me, they liked me, they trusted me, and then eventually they would come to me with, uh, with all their various issues. But many tremendous spiritual opportunities along the way as well. And at that time, as you can see up here, there was a number of other clubs who had somebody that they would call, maybe even in an unofficial way, their chaplain. We all did it rather differently, I would say. But there was a few of us in that number there, probably the guys at Wraith Rover, Stirling and Dunfermline, that we had the same kind of DNA. The idea was that we would be pastorally proactive and that we would be spiritually reactive, that we would build a relationship with folk so that eventually they would hopefully come to us with spiritual questions, spiritual needs, spiritual requests. Um, but... Honestly speaking, we didn't really have a clue what we were doing. And then we heard that Manchester United uh, had a chaplain, this fellow here uh, in the bottom right, John Boyers. He was uh, the pastor, or one of the pastors at Altrincham Baptist Church in the northwest of England. And when he moved there, the secretary of Manchester United at the time was a chap called Ken Merritt, who was a Christian. And he invited him along to be the chaplain at the club. I can only imagine if somebody says to you, would you like to be chaplain to Manchester United? You say, eh, let me pray about that, yes. You know, don't need to pray too much about that, I suppose. So anyway, and Sir Alex Ferguson really bought into it and, uh, and became a great champion of sports chaplaincy. So when we heard about this fellow, we thought, well, he knows what he's doing. Let's have him up to Scotland and uh, see if we can get some training from him. And as he came up to Scotland we actually realised that the stuff that he was encouraging us to do, we were actually already doing it. We had the same DNA, except we just put a kilt on our stuff. We just did it according to Scottish culture. And so he really encouraged me to approach other clubs, and uh, that's exactly what I did. Um, what happened was uh, one of our players moved to Kilmarnock to work behind the scenes, um, and he asked me if I could get him somebody to do the same job as me. So the first guy I trained up was a fellow called Neil Urquhart. And um, he did a fantastic job at Kilmarnock. And now word was beginning to get round. The Scottish Football Association invited me along to the UEFA A licence coaching course, which all the top coaches have to do. And uh, as a result of that, I got access to all the SPFL clubs. And uh, within a short period of time, more than half the SPFL clubs had chaplains, and two years later, it rose to 36. Now, in actual fact, there's 40. Uh, that says 39, but we've just appointed somebody else. Um, and, and exciting days, because not only did we put uh, chaplains in at these men's football clubs, but for all you ladies that are sick of the sight of football and think, my goodness, have we got this on a Sunday morning too? Um, I haven't forgotten the women. I was invited to... Uh, pilot chaplaincy at Hibs ladies or Hibs women as they're now known and it made me realise when I was there just how badly females had been treated within Scotland it's a long story but women were very much discarded and uh, I would say that there was a lot of um, rejection and a lack of value and a lack of worth and a lack of respect for them but women's football is really growing now. It's the fastest growing participation sport in Scotland. And so now uh, we've really done a lot of work to get chaplains in just about every women's football club in Scotland, all females, doing a phenomenal job. So that's really growing, which is exciting. 
But also there's other leagues as well, without getting into too many details. We have just grown and grown and grown. And today we now have, we reckon, about 113 football club chaplains in Scotland, which is incredible. When I started way back in 1998, at the same time, I'd become the pastor of Kosaith Community Church. And I have to say the leadership team were so encouraging and recognised that not only would this help to keep my sword sharp, but it would be a good release for me from the pressures of local church ministry. And so they covered my expenses. They encouraged me to, to do what I needed to do to grow it. Then they released me to two days a week as they could see God blessing this ministry and then had to release me altogether to go full time uh, to enable us to continue to grow. But what's also exciting is we've now moved into other sports. We have our first Cricket Scotland chaplain, this guy Ben Thorpe. If you haven't heard of him, you might have heard of his cousin Ian Thorpe, the torpedo, famous uh, world champion swimmer. And Ben is also the first rugby chaplain at Stirling County, doing a great job. We've also put our first chaplain in a gym, and this is about to really grow. Many people go to gyms because they're not happy with themselves and they're lonely. And so now we're seeing God open up the door in gyms to put people in here. Tremendous opportunities. We also have a chaplain now at the only professional basketball team in Scotland at Glasgow Rocks, Brandon Newman, doing a phenomenal job. And the latest one is in this sport here. Anyone guess what sport that is? Shinty. Absolutely. It's, it's crazy. You'd need to be a brave person to play this. It's, it's hockey, but violent, right? It's just incredibly violent. So this was the first chaplain here at uh, Kyle's Athletic in Tinnabruch. And over the next six months, God's opened the door for me to go and appoint chaplains right throughout all the shinty clubs in the top two leagues. So it's really, really exciting what God is doing. But I'll focus a little bit more on, on football. What is a football chaplain? When Jonathan became chaplain of Hamilton Ackies, what did you think it would look like? Do you think he would start to dress in red and decorate you know, all the, ban the barriers here with red and white check flags and, and all having you pray for Hamilton Ackies on a, on a Sunday? Well, clearly you're not doing that anyway. But is that what you thought? Well, this is, this is a photograph that kind of epitomizes what a chaplain isn't but what some folk think a chaplain is. So here's the story behind it. In the summer of 2010, just ahead of the World Cup final, Father Paul Vlar made headlines when he celebrated Mass wearing an orange cassock, the colour of the Dutch national team, sang an orange song and decorated the church with football flags. Now here in the west of Scotland, to hear about a Roman Catholic priest singing an orange song, we call that irony, I think, you know. <laughs> Hilarious, you couldn't script it, could you? Absolutely brilliant. And, uh, but here's the reaction um, of his superior. In his prayer, he asked for solidarity and team spirit in the Dutch team. He was suspended by the bishop for two months for reflection. <laughs> and uh, it, it didn't work. Um, Holland got two players sent off in the final and they get beat. So clearly that's not what a football chaplain is. So a football chaplain is not a fanatic who's kind of living their dream uh, basking in reflected glory. Jonathan certainly won't be doing that. It is somebody who's going in as a, as a servant of Christ to model his compassion and, and to seek to be salt and to be light. So what a chaplain isn't, number one, we're not a witch doctor. We don't pray for success. So that pressure's right off you now, Jonathan. It's not your fault if they go down. 
Our role is pastoral and personal is not performance. In other words, we look past the player to see the person. We're not really bothered that they play football. That's incidental. But this environment in which they work is very ruthless and brutal. It's performance and results driven. The value that is placed in them is entirely down to how they perform and what they produce. We come in with a different attitude because we come in rather than valuing them according to their performance and results, but we value them according to the grace of God. The value that God places on us is the blood of his son, Jesus. That's what we're worth to him. God rates us not according to our spiritual performance and results. He rates us according to the measure of his grace. And we go in with the same attitude. So we love them as the Lord loves us. We accept them as the Lord accepts us. We treat them as the Lord treats us. That's essentially what we do. So it doesn't depend on results or on how they're performing as to how we treat them. We just treat them the way God treats us. And it really messes with their heads because they're not used to it. Incidentally, when I started as the chaplain of Partick Thistle, um, amazingly, the following seven games, we, we were unbeaten. We won six and drew one. Now, in the realms of football, this is what's known as a miracle. Okay? It doesn't really happen. And one of the, the directors came up to me and he said, Oh, Mark, he says, this is incredible, this run we're on. It's clearly because God is on our side at last. It's because we've got a chaplain. I was very quick to be humble and say, Tom, I have to say, I can take no credit for this whatsoever. It's down to the players, down to the manager. I'm so glad I did that. They got beat in the next eight games and the manager gets sacked and I'd have been out the door with them. So don't take the credit and you don't get the blame, Jonathan. Okay, just remember that. We don't go in as Bible thumpers. We don't go in uh, to judge people and correct them about how they're speaking or about how they're living but we go in simply modelling the compassion and the righteousness of Jesus. We're pastorally proactive and spiritually reactive. So this scripture here says, In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord and always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within you, but with gentleness and respect. And so the challenge to our chaplains is, live a life that demands a supernatural explanation. Live a life so that people begin to ask, what is different about you? And it's amazing how as we do that, people do show that spiritual interest. So we're not Bible thumpers and we're not freeloaders. I know you think, oh great, he's able to get to games for free now. That must be fantastic. But actually what we try and do is, is, is give this sense of being givers rather than takers. We want the football clubs to get way more from us than, than we get from them. So yes, we go to games, but we're there to serve, we're there to minister, we're there as servants first and foremost. So that gives you a little idea of what the chaplain hopefully isn't. And let me just sum it up before I bring the word and say this is what a chaplain is. This is what Jonathan will be doing. So this is what I really want you to back him in prayer for. A pastoral safety net, a confidential friend and a good listener. A constant and reliable help, support and encouragement. There'll be ups and many downs, but Jonathan will remain a constant. He'll always be smiling, always be encouraging, always be supporting. A servant modelling the compassion of Jesus. A lot of these people will have no connection with church, no connection with God, but what's happening is we're bringing God to them with Jonathan as his vehicle. That's essentially what is happening.
So let's have a look at the biblical essence of chaplaincy. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Now, that's a great phrase. We use it often in the west of Scotland. If you hear it said of somebody, ah, the wee fella, he's the salt of the earth, you'll think, well, he's humble, he's unpretentious, he's down to earth. But in Jesus' day, this meant something considerably more. Because in Jesus' day, they had no electricity. They had no means of refrigeration. And they had no means of preservation other than soaking meat in salt substances whereby it stopped the meat from putrefying. So when Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, what he's saying to his people are, I'm placing you in society to stop the moral putrefication, bring something of my presence, something of my values, something of me into that environment and see what happens. And so you find that with Jesus. Jesus did not go about condemning people in their sin. He simply walked among people And such was the glory of God upon him and within him, people were instantaneously convicted of sin. Peter says, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips. Jesus didn't have to say anything. And what you find is, is if we really walk in the Lord, walk closely with him, wherever we go, we actually bring the Lord's presence with us because he is in us. Anyone who knows the Lord has the presence of God within them through the Holy Spirit. And so wherever we go, we are bringing God into that place. And it makes a difference. People become aware of God through seeing him in us. That's what it means to be salt of the earth. You carry the presence of God wherever you go. So my challenge to you is, where are you salt? How does the presence of God manifest itself through you wherever you go? Do people know you're a Christian just simply by your presence? Because you speak different, you live different, you behave different, your attitudes are different, but you're not weird. You're not strange. You're not legalistic. You're not religious. There's just something different about you. The presence of God marks you out. That's the challenge. The challenge to our chaplains is live a life that demands a supernatural explanation. And I believe this should happen very naturally. But here's the key thing. This isn't where your salt. Jesus didn't say, be salt of the earth. Sorry, salt of the church. He said, you are the salt of the earth. This is the salt shaker. This is where you get filled with salt. As you hear the word each week, as you enter into God's presence and worship, as you get filled up with his spirit, then you need to go somewhere and see it sprinkled out. If this is the only time that you're conscious of being a Christian is when you're in church, we've missed the whole point of actually being here. This is the salt shaker. This is where you get filled up. It's during the week. That's when you're salt. So, are you salt? I love this scripture from Colossians 4 and 6. It says, let your conversation Be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you'll know how to answer everybody. And what I find is is that as as we operate in an area that is very ungodly, the language, the lifestyles are completely counter-cultural, but as I just speak differently, and not just speak as in I don't swear, but as I speak and my conversation is seasoned with grace, as I bring something of the flavor of God into that environment, by how I treat them, by how I value them, by how I serve them. As I leave them with something of the flavor of God, they get a taste for them and they begin to ask questions. 
And that is really what it means to be salt of the earth. It means that we bring something of the flavor of God's grace wherever we go. So I believe that when you have been in somebody's company, you ought to leave a good taste in their mouth. They ought to believe, you know what, that was good to be in their company. I have something of the sense of how God views me because of the way that person treated me. Now listen, that goes whether you're a football chaplain, it goes whether you're going in to collect your pension at the post office, it goes whether you're doing your shopping in Asda's or Tesco's or whatever, and how you speak to somebody. Wherever you go, my challenge is, are you spreading the flavor of God? Are you giving people a taste of how God views them, of how he loves them, of how he wants to treat them? That's what we do as chaplains. And you're all salt of the earth, wherever that might be. Some of the opportunities we get uh, are fantastic, and hopefully Jonathan will get these too. I've done a number of weddings of players, which has been great. On one particular occasion, uh, two years later, one of the players said, Rev, uh, I want you to do do wains. And I says, well, what what do you mean exactly? He says, well, do you christen wains? I says, well, I don't exactly involve any water. I says, but what I would do is a blessing. He says, what's that then? I says, well, I believe that God has created your child and that he has a plan and a purpose for your child's life of great significance. And as your little one gets to know Jesus, then that plan will unfold in their life. And as you and your wife get to know Jesus, you'll really be able to help that come to fruition. I'm sure he didn't have a clue what I was talking about. He just said, aye, that's great, Rev, let's do it. So I said, well, do you want to come to my church? Because quite a lot of the lads had come to various special services that we'd had at our church in Kilsyth. But he said, well, I live quite a distance away and I don't really know anybody. And I I, I feel quite embarrassed because I just feel I was using your church. See if I did it in my house, would you do it there? I said, yeah, of course, not a problem. So we agreed. But the next week he came back to training and he said, Rev, I've had a thought, right? I want all the boys in the squad there too. And my house is too small. So I've hired a function suite in Tiger Tiger Nightclub. Would you do it there? <laughs> I thought you had dancer. That's fantastic. I, I said, just, just try to check this out. I take it we, we, we basically take over the function suite. We're not just going into a nightclub. He says, no, no, it's, it's ours. I says, right. Hey, listen, how about this? Is this? Here's a thought. How about if I bring my worship band down and I bring my street dance team and I bring my puppet team down and we give you a bit of church and tiger, tiger? He's like, wow, would you do that, Rev? I says, yeah. I said, I'll cancel my evening service that Sunday. I'll get it by the deacon somehow. And uh, they were actually fine with it. And uh, I says, do you know, we'll, we'll just, I'll just send all our folk off to the Church of God in Kilsythan and we'll, we'll, come and, we'll come and do church with you. Brilliant. So I brought the worship team, the street dance team, the puppet team, and we shared the gospel in so many different ways. So the worship band, they they sang. It was more a presentation of worship than participation. The street dance team were were dancing to some really good kind of Christian rap stuff like Lecrae, Andy Mineo. It was really kind of tight lyrically and in your face with grace. And, uh, and puppets, well, puppets say stuff that you wouldn't have the brass neck to say face to face. So we just shared the gospel in so many ways with them, and I, I did also. And at the end of the night, I'm, I'm up at the bar with one of the players, and he turns to me and he goes, he says, Rev, you, you've really got me thinking tonight. He says, it's a lot to think about the stuff you were saying. You know, see, before tonight, I couldn't really connect you with church, because, like, you're all right. It just makes you think, hey, what do they think of us, you know? But it, it was just a great opportunity 
to take the church where Jesus wanted it to go. That was being salt in the earth. Taking the church where the people are at. Now that was a great opportunity. You don't get them every week. But it's just an example of how we can be salt of the earth. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And one of the things that I want you to pray for Jonathan is, is that sometimes we take it for granted as believers that we have access to the very wisdom of God himself. That doesn't mean that Jonathan's going to go into Brian Rice's office on Monday morning and say, Gaffer, I was praying and the Lord showed me 442 is no working. You need to go 352 and drop that big center half. That won't happen or he'll be sacked, right? I don't mean that, but I mean for life, wisdom for life. We live in a fatherless generation. We live in a generation where probably more than half of those players will not have a positive real male role model in their lives. And Jonathan, by very nature of the fact that he's a believer, will be manifesting the father heart of God to these lads. And there'll be times when they'll face life situations. They'll not have a clue what to do. They'll come to him. They'll ask for his advice. And Jonathan will be panicking inside and going, Lord, what do I say? And the Lord will give you the wisdom for that, Jonathan. You'll be speaking words of wisdom into their lives. And you'll know it's the Lord and it's not you. And I find myself in these situations all the time because... They think that because we're connected with God, we'll know everything. Well, we don't, but we know the one who does. And when you need that wisdom, it'll come. And you'll be a light to those boys, not in terms of their football, but in terms of their life, because we see past the player and we see the person. But people will say, it's an awful godless environment. You know, all that language, all that talk, all the, all the lifestyles. And it is... But here's something. The darker the night, the brighter the star shine. And whenever Christians say to me, oh, I find it really hard being a Christian in this environment because there's no one there who's a Christian, I usually go, wow, what a privilege, what an opportunity. God clearly trusts you enough to put you as the only representative in that environment. Get over yourself and rejoice. Remember hearing the story one time about two shoe salesmen who had been sent to a West African country many, many years ago. And uh, the idea was that this shoemaking company wanted to really establish their business in this country. So they got a, a message from one of them saying, this is a waste of time. Nobody wears shoes here. I want to come home. And they got a message from the other one saying, this is an incredible opportunity. Nobody wears shoes here. Send me more. Same situation different mentality we need people in these areas where there are there are no lights where there are no witnesses and this scripture here i hope i can read it at this distance but i think it says do everything without grumbling or complaining i'll read it up here so that you may become blameless and pure children of god without fault in a warped and crooked generation then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life all you need to do, Jonathan, is just be who you are in Christ and just shine. He will shine through you. You'll not always get it right. You will make mistakes. Um, I, I'm the expert in that. Can I just tell you when to close? Just, just to kind of be humble before you. One of the worst things that ever happened. So, and before I tell you the story, I do want to let you know that I love dogs. 
And it's really important you pick up on that, right? We've usually had a pet dog. I love dogs. I really do adore them. So please don't judge me. Okay. You're dreading what he's going to come out with now, isn't, aren't you? So what happened was, one of the things that you'll find is that the players will really rip it out of you, okay? They'll rip the mints, as we say. They'll take the mickey and, and, you know, they'll try and get under your skin. You know, try and get a reaction from you. Just be aware of that, Jonathan. So there's one particular player at Partick Thistle, and he used to always rib me, try and wind me up. He would say things like, Rev, see if we get a penalty, I'm going to ask Satan to help me score. Is that all right? Just to try and wind me up. Well, this day, he did it, and he got under my skin. And a, a bit. And, and so what happened was, he, he said some very derogatory things about um, the concept of Jesus being a babe in a manger and being the saviour of the world. He, I'm not going to what he said. Quite inappropriate. And I thought, nah, that's it. You went too far. So I knew how to get under his skin. The thing was, on his phone, right, he had a picture of his pet dog, his Doberman, right? He had a lovely girlfriend, but he seemed to love his dog more because that was what was on his phone all the time. And I knew how to get under his skin, right? So forgive me, but I said to him in front of the rest of the boys in the changing room, I hope your dog dies, right? I was joking, right, because it's just football banter, right? And the rest of the lads thought this was hilarious. And they all started laughing. And one of the lads said, Oh, that's brilliant. The rev just cursed your dog. You're going to go home today and it's going to be lying on its back with its four legs up in the air. It's dead. And they all started singing, The rev's cursed your dog. The rev's cursed your dog. Well, anyway, this player started to get really upset. And, and he's, he's, he's making a fellow open. He says, Rev, I can't believe you've done that. And so anyway, we're running around the park before training. And he says, Rev, I'm, I'm really worried about my dog. Will, will, will you pray? Will you pray it'll be all right when I go home? And I was like, oh, you don't need to worry about your dog. Your dog will be fine, you know. And inside I'm going, Lord, please preserve that dog. Let nothing happen to it. I'm, please, Lord, I didn't mean it. You know, I didn't mean it. And uh, so anyway, that afternoon I got a text from him about two o'clock in the afternoon in block capital letters. Rev, my dog's alive. Thanks for praying. So I sent him a message back and saying, right, well, just... Give thanks to God for this. So tomorrow if you score, do what Christian players do when they score and just point to the heavens and give thanks. I said, I will, I will. And the amazing thing was we won 5-2 and he scored and he goes down on his knees and he gives it that. I think folk thought he had an epiphany, but he was just glad that his dog was alive. So the big thing is that you don't always get it right. And I'm, they still rub me about that to this day, but we don't always get it right. And if we don't, we, we just put the hand up and admit it. But I think overall, overall, if you love them as you've been loved and you accept them as you've been accepted and you serve them as, as Jesus has come and served us and value them as he has valued you, that will mess with their heads and stir up their hearts and there'll be lots of wonderful opportunities come as a result of that. And I wonder, could we just pray for Jonathan just now? Would that be okay? Could David come out as well? Where's, where's Pastor David? Could we pray for Jonathan just to commission him as he goes into this? Uh, and they might be struggling for a centre half, so you never know. Um, <laughs> I'm still trying to get my training kit by the way. <laughs> oh dear. Amen. So. Let's say, let's David and I pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord, for opening up this door of opportunity for Jonathan. Thank you for the favour you've granted him already by how he's been accepted by the folks there. And I pray, Lord, that as he goes into that environment and as he is salt and as he is light, that, Lord, people would see uh, the glory of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus in him. And that, Lord, he would have many opportunities 
to share something of your love with these dear people at that football club. Lord, we recognise this morning it's not about football, it's about opportunities, it's about people. It's about getting into an environment that for many years was closed to your influence and your love. And we thank you that you've opened up this door. May no man shut it. May you bless it and bless him in it, Lord, in Jesus' name.